0: Up new buildings, we're knocking down the old We're working in the summer heat And in the winter cold And the labour power We sell me boys for a hard and weekly pay Produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA Hello, this is Ralph Edwards, Acker, Warren from the Concrete Gang And I'll be presenting a fill-in Concrete Gang show During their well-earned summer break this is part of an ongoing series called Creatures of the Industry and that's going to record the people who made our industry over the last 50 years as they reflect on that history and their time in it. We face deregistration, it backfired in the face We're not fooled by arbitration, we won't stay in our place we hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our games And break a couple of concrete pours to back our log of claims So keep
1: your powder dry
0: and hold your head up high It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed Our builder's labour is a name to make a man feel proud G'day, this is the latest edition of Cotty, Creatures of the Industry, and today's guest, Malcolm MacDonald. Previously, a Secretary of the FEDFA, Federal President of the FEDFA, and uh, a long-time activist, not only in the union movement, but also in political affairs. G'day, Malcolm, how are you? Oh, very well, thank
1: you.
0: And... uh, What I was interested in doing is because originally you uh, didn't come into the construction industry at such, because the FEDFA was a uh, general union covering uh, engine drivers. That means uh, powered uh, equipment, whether it's in the power stations, plant equipment, factories and so on. You came into the industry a little bit less directly than joining as a builder's labourer.
1: Well, that's right, yeah. Uh, I first joined the Federated Engine Drivers and Firemen's Association when I got a job as a boiler attendant or a trimmer at the start at the Newport Power Station in 1956.
0: The original Newport Power Station. The original, that's
1: right. We had a struggle to stop the other one being built. But uh, I was there, I worked there for 11 years and... uh, after a couple of years, uh, I did. Uh, I became um, an organizer with the Federated Engine Drivers and Firemen's Association,
0: and uh, a job
1: I held uh, for as a full-time official for 27 years, until uh, 1995. But after that, I still kept the association with uh, the union uh, following my retirement. Um, the FEVFA actually continued prior to amalgamating into the CFMEU for 13 years as a separate entity.
0: As opposed to the agreed 8 years.
1: That's right, but um, <laughs> I don't think that was by any real design. No. It just so happened. But at any rate, apart from that, I up until about 3 or 4 years ago, I still kept contact with the CFMEU. I used to Uh, Assist with the production of the Union Journal. Yes. I used to go around jobs and take a few photos and write a few stories, which I enjoyed doing.
0: And prior to that, you were the editor of uh, Dynamo, the FEDFA magazine.
1: That's right, yes, that's right.
0: And when you first came into employment in Newport, unions in those days would have been a lot different from what they are now. What do you reckon were the principal differences, both good and bad, compared to today?
1: Well, unions had more power then. For example, the uh, metal industry union. Uh, what
0: was it? AEU. No, yeah.
1: not the AEU. The uh, oh gosh, the amalgamated metal workers. Oh, the AMW. Oh, that's right. The AMW. Yeah, yeah, the seven, amalgamated metal workers union. From
0: 1972 on.
1: I think they were possibly the largest union in Australia certainly amongst the, the largest, uh, but now they're a fairly small union because this is the story of Australian unionism to a large degree. The, the metal union could have 500 members in one factory. The trouble is the factories aren't here anymore, and uh, that means, of course, that the union is much smaller and consequently uh, less powerful industrially, and that is the story of a lot of uh, Australian trade unions.
0: But also maybe the fact that people don't think unions are quite as important to their uh, well-being as they once did. I mean, going back when I first came into the building industry, if you didn't have a union, you were in trouble.
1: Oh, That's that's right. right.
0: And these days, perhaps uh, people's uh, exposure to unions and what unions are about and their achievements are not well understood.
1: I think, though, the main reason for... Well, I think there's only about 14% of the workforce now in unions um, when you and I were both officials. uh, Well, in my case, I started about 50 years ago, (laughs) I suppose. We had industry in Australia. We had industry. That's no no longer here. And uh, the opportunity to be in a union is no longer there in a way because yes, the, the jobs aren't there Yes, that I think now for example oh, there's been another very important um, development in um, Australian unionism because of wage fixation and the method of wage fixation. There was a time prior to the Hawke-Keating government when we had wage fixation based on a flow-on effect uh, um, Or community wage increases. If, if for example, what usually used to happen, the metal workers and the building trades perhaps would have campaigns, but in particular the metal unions, because the the metal industry award was the main award from the point of view of wage fixation, copied by other unions Mm. and other industries. Now, if the metal industry uh, managed to obtain wage increases by campaigns... Uh, the result of that usually flowed to all industries. Yep. Now, workers could see that. You know, they could see that their unions were... Uh, to be in a union meant you, you, you did get wage rises, for yep. example, and you did have protections.
0: And you did have better conditions.
1: And, well, that's right. When I first started the work, everybody had sick leave. You had annual holidays. They were all guaranteed, but there's so many workers today... Uh, in the so-called gig economy, for example, and uh, with the subcontracting out act, sub-contracting act of so much work, uh, people no longer have the benefit of sick leave and holidays, for example. So there's certainly been a very um, big taking away of conditions of employment for a lot of workers. There's no doubt about that. But I do attribute it mainly to the fact that unions today, that, that they are so much smaller because industry no longer exists in this
0: country. And what do you think uh, was the effect of the changes made under the Keating government? Laurie Brereton was the Minister for Industrial Relations and the introduction of so-called enterprise bargaining. I I would argue that that exacerbated the problem of the de-industrialisation. It's much harder to organise factory by factory, workplace by workplace, as opposed to having an industry campaign. In the old days, everything was industry-wide campaigns.
1: Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Um, enterprise bargaining was okay at the start. When uh, it was, uh, enterprise bargaining is all right if you're in a strong industry. Yep. If you're in a strong industry, but. It is much harder for unions to be able to organise every establishment. Yeah. Every establishment. That gets back to what I was saying before. Mm. Prior to um, the introduction of enterprise bargaining, which I think was a part of the Accord, wasn't it?
0: It's uh, a consequence of the Accord Mark two, I think.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but before that, there were automatic flows of wage yep. increases to workers. That was yep. the big difference. Yep. And, of course... Once enterprise bargaining came into it, that, that's, that all stopped. Yep. And uh, what workers uh, had who never had any industrial strength was uh, a legislated minimum wage, actually, yep. if you think about it, yep. from the point of view of a guaranteed wage. Yep.
0: And you could go out and get over and above that.
1: That's right. That's
0: right. In fact, in, under the awards, my memory, if, it's, if I'm correct, is there was also registered agreements which were based on the award like an EBA can be, but there was an additional benefit negotiated directly by the union for those who had a bit more industrial uh, power.
1: Of course, that's right.
0: And those... So the EBAs weren't new, but when they were applied indiscriminately across the board, uh, I think that also helped demobilise a lot of the trade union movement.
1: Oh, of course it did.
0: Yeah, And your experience with the Fedfa because we're going to go step by step through your work history and uh, your time in the Fedfa. It was always weekly hire in uh, in Fedfa awards.
1: Mainly there was there was some casual employment.
0: Yeah, But But mainly was the
1: award, but primarily everybody was weekly
0: hire. Yeah, and as I said in the introduction. The FEDFA being a trade union, an occupational...
1: You could call it a craft, craft union.
0: A craft union, yeah. And that continued right through, right through to the 1980s, if memory serves me correct. Oh, that's
1: right, yeah.
0: And so boiler attendants, people who uh, operated forklifts, like at the CUB, yeah, all those people were considered to be either... Plant operators, uh, engine drivers or within the rules of the FEDFA. constitution, that's right. And that really was a pretty sharp demarcation.
1: Well, it wasn't only us, of course. Yes, of course. Um, Even the Builders Labourers Union, for example, whilst they were predominantly a construction union, based on construction, uh, they also had members individual members' in some cases in factories where you may have about 10 unions. Yep. So, so, for example, the Housing Commission, um, the Housing Commission, the Homes Club. Yeah, precast. That's right. Uh, okay, the builders' labourers naturally would be there, but FEDFA was there with the cranes, for example, and you had metal workers there as well. I mean, even on construction, now you've got metal workers and yep. building workers. By the way, uh, the FEDFA, um, when it was formed, um, was formed as a craft union. But it turned out that uh, at that time legislation that uh, catered for the formation of trade unions in Australia, in, in the new newly federated Australia, the Constitution didn't allow for craft unions. Huh. And uh, it turned out during this period of early formation of unions, it fell to the FEDFA to take a case, before Mr Justice Higgins, by the way, to argue that it was beneficial for workers to be able to belong to a craft union. And Mr Justice Higgins agreed with that. And uh, if it was that case, that effectively led to the legislation allowing for craft unions in Australia. If that hadn't have happened, we would have only had industrial unions in this country. So the history of trade unions would have been totally different. But, I mean, another union would have or could have easily been the union that was the test case for this. But it so happened it was the FEDFA.
0: Now, Mr Justice Higgins has a few claims to fame, uh, including uh, the wage case minimum rates
1: well that's right um, it was mr. Justice Higgins who uh, determined that the minimum wage should be based on the minimum needs of a worker and his family the and harvester case was seven shillings a day 42 shillings a week and it was a six-day week you know eh? yep and um, but the, the thing was and now that case led to the formation of federal unions just because if you, if you wanted to avail any union, wish to avail themselves of the benefits of the uh, of the, of the uh, new basic wage, you had to become a registered federal union. So that meant that all these uh, state unions, and there were quite a number of them, there were three in Victoria, for example. Uh, they had, if they wanted to federate to get the benefits of the. Uh, what was the, the Harvester case. Harvester case, yep. Yeah. Which it became known as. You had to become a federal union. In the case of the FEDFA, uh, we, we uh, became a federal union after a meeting in Melbourne you, with people coming from Rogan Hill, New South Wales, South Australia, I think it was. Um, they formed the FEDFA. Mm. And uh, history went on from there.
0: Just a little aside here. Did the Fedfa keep the uh, state wage system, the state wage board system, going?
1: Yeah, everybody did. Yep, yeah. but and we used to
0: play one off against the other, didn't we?
1: No, not really. No, no. Um, the well, I never. I, I became aware of the um, wages board system when I became an official, and I had to attend on behalf of the Fedfa at that time. Uh, the wages board was really a rubber stamp for what happened federally, mm. and um, you weren't able to use the state system from the point of view of wage increases, except under pretty exceptional circumstances. Mm. Um, but if you wanted to get a wage rise that was uh, awarded by the federal commission, arbitration commission, you had to wait for that to be uh, to be passed by the federal uh, arbitration commission then you could go to the state wages board and get it rubber stamped,
0: And probably a few localised conditions too. Were oh, that's right. allowances. There could be
1: disputes. Yeah. There could be disputes. Not every... Um, this is another matter, of course. Not every every group of workers were covered by the federal award. For example, the, the RIPLAYS union never become a federated union. Yes.
0: Till they joined the CFMEU. That's right. And that was... Not by actual amalgamation, that was by their members deserting uh, to the CFMEU from uh, a proposed amalgamation with uh, some other parties.
1: That's right, they did form another union, didn't
0: they? Yes, they did. And they they were looking at entering a relationship with uh, the AWU.
1: I don't recall that, that aspect of it so much, but yes, they did, did form another union. Yes. Yeah, and as you say, uh, the situation was that eventually everybody uh, saw the need to desert that union yep. and um, join the of FED, uh, FEDFA, join the CFME, yep. that's right.
0: In fact, the brick. Layers Union had a building next to the FEDFA office in Barry Street.
1: That's right, we should have bought that. <laughs> we could have
0: They went broke. That's anyway. Right.
1: That's because, they, that's interesting, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, they, they went broke because they went into a new building. <laughs> yes. And they couldn't pay for it.
0: Yes, and it was a pre cars building with bricks stuck on it.
1: That's right. Well, Basically. It a great yeah. It'd be worth a lot of money today, Rob. Yes,
0: indeed. Now, just getting back, we've I've allowed you to digress a little bit from your history with the FEDFA, when you first became an official and an organiser of the FEDFA, what was the area, geographic area, or uh, employment areas that you covered? Uh,
1: well, uh, I was like most uh, union officials in a craft union. We're only a fairly small union, by the way, you know, we, Never had that large a membership. Our biggest membership was in the SEC, but I worked uh, everywhere. Mm. Uh, we had some members on construction. Uh, we had uh, all the mechanical equipment in the SEC, for example. We had all members, uh, we had cranes on uh, the Trail Valley construction, whereas we didn't have in the city, mm. but we did there. But I worked uh, I, every, every uh, Three months, we used to do what we call quarterly calls. We had to go and visit all the factories where we had border attendants. That used to take about three weeks. Um, all over Victoria,
0: if I remember.
1: Yeah, that's right. All over Victoria. Uh, SEC in the Latrobe Valley. Uh, Port of Geelong. Geelong. Port of Geelong, that's right. We used to do the country runs. Mm. Um, as you say, all over Victoria. But the Port of Geelong, we had... Um, crane drivers on the wharf there. And we also uh, had an important group of workers on the Melbourne Waterfront with the Melbourne Harbour Trust. I, mu- I must say, I really enjoyed working with them. Mm. And um, may I just digress slightly Of ago. course. One of my happiest moments, but it, the happiness wasn't allowed to continue forever. It was at the time, of course, when unions were starting to lose members because of technology. And on the wharf, of course containerisation mm. now we had all the crane drivers, all the wharf crane drivers at any rate the Melbourne Harbour Trust um, with with, with, uh, with containerisation of course yeah, they had the big new cranes, yep. they cranes they Portainer cranes they yep. called them. and um, the Harbour Trust bought one mm. down at Web Dock Yep. and uh, of course we wanted to man that crane because we we'd been with the, we were the crane driving, we covered all the cranes and had done for 40 years with the Melbourne Harbour Trust. But the Melbourne Harbour Trust wanted the crane to be manned by orphans. Yep. They had everything else. Yep. And they had, had everything else arbitrated to them as well in, in previous arbit- arbitration. Anyway, um, we had a bit of a dispute about it and we eventually had to go to the court about it. We went to the arbitration committee. And we won the case, and the reason we won the case was because, in previous cases that awarded coverage to portainer cranes and other work to the Waterside Water Workers Federation, was because it was in in accordance with the employers' wishes. Now, prior to us agreeing to go uh, uh, and take a case, the Harbour Trust didn't think we were going to win the case. And they they did agree to say that they wanted us to cover the cover the crane. So anyway, we we did argue successfully that because the harbour trust as the employer wanted us to cover the cover the crane, and in accordance with all previous decisions, including made by Sir John Moore who was hearing our case, we felt that it would have been contradictory for us not to get the crane. Anyway, when the decision was handed down, I'll never forget that. A look of shock. Well, I reckon we were shocked as well. <laughs> but the Waterside Workers Federation representative was more shocked than we were. <laughs> and the
0: irony is that all these years later?
1: Well, the irony of that was there was the, the wharf... Had, let me just finish. Sorry. The wharfies refused to man the crane once we started to operate it. So it finished up going before the ACTU and it turned out that we got fifty-fifty membership. The Waterside workers had fifty percent me- of the crew dri- crane drivers, uh, and for had the other fifty percent. The problem is, that our 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 uh, our, our, our rep- there were t- we had one, and they had one. As it turned out, yeah. it, it turned out though that our bloke defected to the uh, <laughs> to the. <laughs> he defected to the <laughs> yeah. water side workers federation. So that, that that reminded that that really was a good lesson for me. I've been involved in many, many demarcation disputes, mm-hmm. and look—you very seldom really win them, you know.
0: No. <laughs> no. That's very, yeah, very, very true. Very costly. But I was going to say before, so he rudely interrupted you, Malcolm, that right. the irony of it all at the end is the CFMEU is now the CFMMEU because we've amalgamated with the Warfies.
1: Well, that goes back to what we were talking yes, about before. Yes, you know, the membership of unions is formed at such a low level mm. that, that even a, a union like the Waterside Workers Federation, which uh, fought like hell to get every every bit of work on the waterfront, and they did that successfully, yep. they also because of technology, they haven't. Uh, well, they, because of technology, they have. Uh, having enough members to uh, didn't have enough members to run a separate union. Yep. So they needed to a Melbourne
0: yep. And uh, not only did they gobble up the wharf crane operators, but they also, at the Port of Melbourne, gobbled up the tradesmen and labourers who did the work on the wharfs, the uh, the piling, the the decks, all that stuff that was taken over by the uh, MUA and uh, they took over the plumbers they took over, in fact one of the plumbers they took over, Kevin Bracken ended up the secretary of the MUA in Victoria
1: I'd forgotten about that we had engine drivers in, on refrigeration on the wharf yes. and they all joined the uh, Waterside Workers Federation as
0: well yep. and even the Storman and packers who had uh, employee members in uh, the container companies they were gobbled up by the uh, M- MUA as well.
1: Well, you're opening up another story now about what, in effect, were forced amalgamations. Yes, yes. And, this, and a, a decision by the... by the, As a result of the Accord, I think uh, it was felt that too many unions were causing too many demarcation disputes and therefore rendering Australian industry inefficient. Like, this is one of the reasons... Yeah, so, therefore, what we needed was industrial unionism, which would get rid of all that nonsense. Um, it'd be much easier to negotiate awards and agreements rather than uh, having to go through all the trouble of negotiating with a lot of different unions. Like in the SEC, for example. Uh, oh God, I forget how many unions were there. 28? Oh, it could have been.
0: Well, it was some extraordinary figure like That's that. That's
1: right. Well, you know, it was... Uh, Often very difficult. You have a meeting of uh, 28 different shop stewards from different unions. It? it was highly, even very difficult for unions to bloody try and get any agreement about anything. <laughs>
0: Indeed. <laughs> That's right. But this does segue into a discussion about uh, the construction industry and the changes that came out of the accord and the uh, super union push from the ACTU and that, which of course led to. The formation of the CFMEU uh, and uh, the deregistration of the BLF.
1: Yeah. But of course, just in relation to um, the super union, uh, there were a number of unions that wanted that to happen as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, that included, I might say, the Builders' Labourers Federation. Yes, yes. Uh, Norm Gallagher. Um, changed the name of the Builders' Laborers' Federation to what was it? The
0: The Australian uh, Building and Construction Employees and Builders' Laborers' Federation.
1: That's right. Now, if... This is another... Number 1892. If, 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 <laughs> if it... <laughs> history is all ifs, isn't it? Ifs right. and If the BLF had not been deregistered mm. and... Um, it is possible that it wouldn't be the CFMEU that was a National Union for the Construction Industry, for example. It could have well been, what's the name?
0: The A, B and C Employees uh, and BLF.
1: Led by a fellow called?
0: Norman Leslie Gallagher. That's
1: correct, but it didn't happen, did it? No. But it could have.
0: A lot of things could have happened and uh, it took a long time for the whole thing to settle down and get on on a productive level. But uh, just my point of view, the government and Labor governments created a civil war with the assistance of some federal officials of different unions and uh, various political persuasions. uh, And we ended up in a civil war which probably didn't do the industry any good. It took a long, long time to reconcile and actually work collectively and productively.
1: Um, If you think of the Accord, I remember speaking to Jack Campbell Mm. and I was querying some of the the things that happened. He said, but you've got to remember, it wasn't just industrial matters that we had, the unions were able to have a say in. There are other things. And this is one of the, I think, Bill Kelty was able to con." Yep. He might have conned himself as well. But because of the Accord, Australian unions who were members of the Accord also became part of the government. And that made a lot of them feel fairly good, I think. But of uh, course, as soon as the Howard government was elected, the Accord just disappeared overnight, didn't
0: it? Yep. And so did being part of government.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, it, it, I, and, and, and the Conservatives it's, have made it... Fight tooth
0: and nail to keep it that way. And really, we, as a labour movement, handed a whole lot of free kicks to the conservatives, and they have played it hard. And they, but they, not so they played it fair, but they played it hard, and they have stayed in front because the trade union movement is potentially more fragmented, demoralised, and uh, shall we say. Uh, Unarmed in the ongoing struggle about people's decent wages and conditions. Oh, that's
1: right. Unions now are more dependent on the um, legislation, yep, the industrial legislation than trade unions in a way. You know, it, I mean, the, the minimum wage case is very important. Yep. You know, uh, it, it's it doesn't provide a really good living wage. It is one of the best in the world, by the way. But yep. however. Mm. Uh, Legislation and influence on government is very important for the unions because we haven't got the the, the boots on the the, the, we haven't got the bodies anymore.
0: The unions. Yep. Okay, I'm Ralph Edwards, and I'm presenting "Creatures of the Industry," a fill-in show during the concrete gang's well-earned summer break. But just to go back to your time. You were the secretary yeah. of the Fedfa Victorian branch, That's right. right up to the uh, deregistration of the BLF. In that period, there was a lot of disputes, and maybe we'd just like to talk about that because there was a heap of things going on in the industry, and also Which
1: thing you're talking about construction,
0: construction, but also there was a hell of a lot going on in as you referred to in demarcation disputes and a whole lot of industrial disputes around superannuation, around breaking the wage freeze in the early uh, 1980s. All this was happening at the same time and you were in a position where, as the Secretary of the Union, you were daily involved in all this stuff. Well,
1: the other thing was uh, it was a period of militancy, wasn't it? Oh, Um, A turning point which led to increased militancy was the Clario case. Oh, yeah. Prior to that, unions uh, who engaged in industrial action uh, regularly uh, received very really hefty fines. Yeah. And, of course, that often stopped action taking place. Well, what happened was in 1969, for a Yeah,
0: that's right.
1: I just, yeah, that was slightly, just before I become an official with FedFundance, Larry O'Shire, who was the Secretary of the the Tramways Union in Victoria, refused to pay a fine, or fines, and he was put in jail.
0: He hid all the union's money too, I might add. (laughs) Took (laughs) it out of the bank and hid it.
1: He refused to pay the fine, and he was put in jail. Now, that led to... It started in Victoria. That led to a a, a number of... uh, A lot of industrial disputation... I know in the power industry, we, we had a three-hour power stoppage, for example, yep. in FEDFA, uh, and we stopped, along with other unions, uh, and supported industrial action. Uh, the result was that Clary O'Shea was, uh, somebody paid Clary O'Shea's fine or something.
0: Yep. Yeah, a boss. So,
1: a boss, was it? Yeah. Somebody paid the fine, let him out of jail, and after that, the unions uh, were not, uh, find any more for some time in relation to uh, industrial disputation, and that led to a, an increase in militancy, yep. and the industrial disputation right throughout the uh, industry in Australia.
0: And the Whitlam government was elected in 1972 and introduced four weeks annual leave, leave loading, uh, by legislation and by a case before the uh, commission? I think that
1: was established, though, on the job first, particularly in the metal yeah. trades. Yeah,
0: that's right. But
1: the Metal trades have to be given a lot of credit for what they do. Oh, sensational. Yeah, because it comes back, of course, to the question of wage fixation. Mm. Uh, the metal trades award was the main award mm. uh, that was used for wage fixation by other industries. Yep. The example set in the metal trades, if the metal trades got something, it usually flowed. Mm. And that was... Uh, you know, community uh, way of uh, getting wage increases in other unions that didn't have any real industrial Mm. strength.
0: Mm. But I was just referring to Clyde Cameron was the Minister for Industrial Relations, an ex-union official, an ex sheriff here in South Australia, and uh, he was able to intervene under the legislation in the matters before the Commission, and he intervened on behalf of unions. So the Commission had a couple of people arguing against them um, in terms of both the union and the federal government at the time. And uh, when Whitlam was sacked personally and as as a government in 1975, was another outburst of activity too. A lot of disputes in those days.
1: Yeah. Uh, I remember going to see Bill Landy when uh, the government was sacked.
0: Bill was, of course, the Secretary of the Storm and Packers Union.
1: Yeah, and I said to him, look, uh, don't you think we ought to... You know, they've stopped supply. Don't you think we ought to do the same thing? And he was in agreement. And in my presence, he got on the phone to Bob Hawke, who was then the President of the ACT. He wasn't in Parliament. But he... Bob Hawke uh, stopped that happening.
0: I remember uh, two days after... Whitlam was sacked on the 11th of November 1975. There was a rally by construction unions and some other unions in the city square, uh, in the centre of Melbourne, next to the town hall, and Bob Hawke came down and uh, told everyone to cool it. When, in fact, we had uh, mobilised huge numbers of people, there was a national strike, all sorts of things, and he came down and told us to cool it.
1: Effectively, he did stop any real uh, big outbreak of industrial action against yeah. the sacking of the Whitlam government. Now, was that for personal reasons, where he felt that, from his point of view, uh, it would enable him to uh, get in once he got into parliament, which was his ambition, uh, to enable him to uh, eventually become prime minister? We'll never know that, but there are some people who suggest that possible.
0: And uh, maybe something to do with his CIA training at Harvard. But we won't go into that either.
1: Yeah, I see there's a story about that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But not only about
0: him. Mm. Not only about him. No, no, not only about him. But after that, there was a, res- a resurgence of militancy when uh, the Fraser government introduced the wage freeze. Yeah. And there was, in my memory, uh, a huge campaign by most federal unions um, across Australia to break out of those... Uh,
1: in particular, metal trades. Yep. But, I'm not sure, I don't remember about the building industry, but I'm sure they were participating too.
0: But all these things uh, occurred in an economic downturn in the early 80s and at the same time we were having a red-hot go at massive wage increases, shorter hours, superannuation... That and it was, was a popular, of, it was a popularly supported campaign.
1: There was also a wages freeze, if yeah. you remember. Yeah, that's what
0: I'm saying. And yep. that was
1: a period of, uh, during the, during that period, one of the, well, I, I think the best run industrial campaign I've ever been associated with was the winning of a 35-hour week at the uh, Altona Complex. And that led to uh, roster days off right throughout the Australian industry.
0: Yep. We got the thirty-eight hour week as a national standard. That's correct. Written into every award. That's right. But the militants got the thirty-five.
1: But uh, yeah, but they got the thirty-five. But that did also lead to the thirty-eight. Yep. Yeah. And the, which included a roster day off. But that's an example of how, before the accord, and before, and the, and before we, before the abandonment of industry-wide wage flows to yep. all industry. Yep. And before we had, uh, what do we call it? Uh, bargaining, bargaining. Oh, no, enterprise bargaining. Enterprise bargaining. Yeah. Before we had enterprise bargaining. That's how, if if one section of industry got something, it could flow. Yep.
0: We got sold a pup. Rather. And it's still barking in the background.
1: But And it was actually during that period, like... Um, When did the Hawke government get there? 83, wasn't it? Yep, 83. That's right. And then all... Then we're on... That's when the Accord was put forward and accepted by the trade unions.
0: And anyone, any trade union that went against the Accord were absolutely vilified. That
1: raises the point of a pilot strike, doesn't it? The
0: pilot strike and the Federal Labor government intervened against the pilots uh, by putting uh, the Air Force into basically provide the air services. And what about
1: the ACTU itself? Yep. Now, when you think of it, look, in my opinion, the pilots weren't led very well. No. Okay, that's fair enough. And they were defeated in an industrial dispute. But we always demand, Mm. we always demand that, okay, workers, they go on strike, they can always go back to work. Yep. But uh, the ACTU agreed with uh, the Hawke government that the pilots who went on strike, were not allowed to come back into the industry.
0: They blacklisted people.
1: Yes, and they had to go overseas for jobs. We had, you know, planes being flown here by foreign pilots, Mm. all with the bloody um, uh, support of the uh, the Australian Council of Trade Unions.
0: Yes, and in a less dramatic but equally uh, poignant uh, dispute, I remember the Food Preservers Union had a dispute with Rosella. And they had missed out on uh, getting the benefits of their negotiations somewhat earlier, and uh, they pushed uh, a picket line at Rosella out in Fern Tree Gully, and uh, they were absolutely pilloried by the ACTU, by the government, they were traitors to the country, like, and they were just carrying on a dispute, a legitimate industrial dispute, to get the wages and conditions, which were basically already been agreed uh, before the uh, a second wage freeze had come in under the accord.
1: That's right. The only thing about the accord, or one of the, if, if there was any positive about it, for example, was the introduction of superannuation yeah, yeah. by the Keating government. I think that was a very good thing. But that was established by the unions too, of course. And then, BLEF, mm. uh was the main union in the building industry yep. to establish it within the building industry. Yep. Noam Gallagher's leadership there was very yep. fundamental and decisive
0: there. And that's when we established BUS, Building Union Superannuation. Oh, that's, right. that's right. And OST uh, was established in the metal area. And, like, we did uh, a pretty good job. 20 bucks a week doesn't sound much, but it was uh, was decent money in those days.
1: What are you talking about now?
0: The The super.
1: Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's meant a lot to a lot of people right, well, through, right throughout Australia. No doubt about it. That was, you'd have to say that that was a benefit of the accord.
0: And now what gets attacked? Industry funds of course. by conservative governments.
1: That's right. They've been doing everything they possibly can or could to bloody, and they continue to do it to weaken them.
0: Yep, and there was an argument, of course, at the time about whether... different political views, but whether it was actually a good idea to get involved in superannuation and investing that money because you were propping up capitalist activity. And now you're no longer uh, allowed to have a say. So we're not covering in maybe as much detail as some people would like but we've certainly covered a pretty big range in this period leading up to the deregistration and all the issues that were going on but now we get down to the crunchy bit and deregistration of the BLF was not just about the BLF it was also about government interference in trade unions labour government interference in trade unions and the breakdown of what shall we say, is the solidarity of unions?
1: Yes, well, as far as the FEDFA were concerned, we didn't want to um, uh, take any members of the uh, BLF when they were deregistered. Uh, in fact, uh, just before, uh, weeks before the deregistration, I, as the Secretary of the FEDFA, gave an undertaking that we wouldn't take any members of the FEDFA in the event of uh, deregistration of the of the BLF. That was at a meeting that was addressed by uh, Willis.
0: Yeah, Ralph Willis. Ralph Willis. The federal uh, minister. That's right.
1: At any rate, if that had been... If, if uh, the government, however, didn't then go away once they knew that unions weren't going to accept the... Uh, BLF members then the government went away and legislated to say that if any union that was offered members BLF members after de- following de- any de- de- deregistration didn't take them well they'd offer them to somebody else some other unions now we were then faced with a situation well if we didn't take them a uh, the strong possibility would be a union like uh, the, FIMI, the uh, Iron Workers Union and or the the AWU if they were offered uh, the members they would take them now we weren't prepared to let that happen at any rate uh, to my embarrassment uh, prior to all this happening I went on 3CR and said that under no circumstances will the FEDFA take members of the BLF if, they, if the union was deregistered at any rate, we did take them for circumstances that I've tried to explain. And to my embarrassment, um, the Concrete Gang, which uh, you know all about, Ralph, <laughs> the Builders' Laborers' program on 3CR, which, is regularly, which was regularly there on a Sunday morning, replayed my speech and said that uh, the FEDFA would not take any members of the BLF if their union was deregistered.
0: And I might add, we've still got a copy of it.
1: <laughs> yeah. The only thing is, as we were discussing mm. prior to coming on air, so to speak, yeah. uh, if the Fedfa and other unions, like even the plumbers, they mm. members of the, of the building, they did when they were deregistered. If they hadn't have taken them, those members would not be in the CFMU today. Correct. Because the Fedfa, for example, mm. uh, later did amalgamate into the CFMEU, and uh, the members that we had or we got from the Builders' Laborist Federation uh, were then amalgamated into the CFMEU construction and construction division.
0: That's absolutely correct, but one aspect that maybe you'd like to comment on is what was happening in Victoria in the lead-up to deregistration and then the derecognition, which led to the uh, split-up of members, There was a different relationship in Victoria because people on a personal level had politically and industrially worked together for a long time as opposed to what I would see as a very different agenda at the federal levels of most unions. The federal level of the BWIU hated the Builders' Laborers Federation and uh, even the uh, federal secretary of the FEDFA my old mate uh, Jack Cambourne, they had their agendas too. And that really did add another layer to it, which made life difficult.
1: Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, You need, of course, go into what happened. Well, why was the BLF deregistered? I mean, certainly they were a very Milton Union. But unfortunately, um, Norm Gallagher had legal problems. Which he effectively uh, allowed to uh, influence his decision decision making uh, in relation to uh, the fact that the union could be deregistered, and it's my personal view that if Norm Gallagher had have had, had placed the union's interests above his own, he would have departed the leadership of the union. Still had influence, fair enough, but. Um, that's one area where the BLF could have been safe from deregistration, or if they were deregistered, I believe that uh, other unions would not have been put in the position of needing to take the membership. So Norm has a role to play in that. But um, on the other hand, uh, there is the question of the one big union in the... Uh, construction industry. ...in the construction industry, uh, and... Uh, a union like the BWIU uh, were interested in obtaining the leadership of such a situation. So uh, they did not oppose the deregistration of the BLF. In fact, uh, the federal body of our union and the uh, Building Workers Industrial Union facilitated, there's no doubt about that, with the help of the ACTU in the government deregistering the uh, BLF.
0: It's a, I mean, we're not always going to be agreeing uh, on everything but it was certainly a very messy time politically as well as industrially well, and right. uh, there was...
1: Can I just say one thing, Ralph? Yeah. You, you, you said that uh, Victoria was different to other states in as much as there was a closeness between all the building units. Mm. For example, uh, a week before deregistration for BLF... Uh, and where the BLF were effectively at war with all the other building unions, they used to go around jobs together in the same cars. Organisers of the Painters, the um, uh, Builders' Labourers and the BWIU, they, they, and so. they, they, they used to go around jobs together. Even with the ASC and J, the rival uh, union to the BWIU, they used to go around organising together. They were all mates. Yep. And a week later, they were all at war. And I remember about the first night of the deregistration, we had a meeting at the BWIU, and uh, that point was made. You Mm. know, here we are tonight at war with the the Builders' Labourers Federation, and last week we were all going together in the same cars. And uh, you had some of the organisers of the BWI calling the coppers on uh, uh, Builders' Labourers blokes who were trying Mm. to uh, fight back if Mm. they could. It wasn't a good good situation at all, and highly unnatural, and it was something that was sort of forced... up. We had no say in the, this all mm. happening in the first place, mm. but it could be argued we shouldn't have gone on with it, but however, I've tried to explain why we did, except members from the mm. building of Labor Federation.
0: I mean, it's all done and dusted now, and we're amalgamated into one big construction union, but... Uh, There's a a lot of time lost in that civil war, which took a long time to make up. And uh, employers employers still, uh, some of them still dream of uh, how uh, demoralised building workers were in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. But uh, other employers say it just stuffed their businesses.
1: Oh, that's right, of course, the other thing you had, even militants like yourself, who spent time rather than fighting the boss, so to speak, you were fighting the the BWI or even the FEDFA. You know that was one of the effects of forcing people,
0: yeah. and that's another
1: thing, of course. Yeah. You know, as a result of, uh, well, in the case of the FEDFA, we we got riggers and crane drivers who were formerly members of the BLF. A lot of them were, well, certainly a number of them were angry about it being put in that position and they, were, they weren't trying to assist the FADFA, they were fighting against them effectively yep. and you would be included in that. Oh, yes, that. yes, yes. Now, that was understandable. Yep. I'm not complaining about that. No, no. But it shows you, though, you had militancy uh, in a way, being a, it's being used up in the wrong directions, if you like, you know, But, however, all that was eventually overcome.
0: Yeah, I mean...
1: By the way, just to pat ourselves on the back to a degree, I think that the FEDFA handled um, the transfer of membership to the FEDFA fairly well. Uh, We did get through it, and we did get acceptance, I believe. Maybe not by everybody. (laughs) Um, But I think that we did, uh, you know, uh, manage to... uh, get acceptance that from the membership that were formerly BLF blokes that, locate well, OK, they mightn't have been happy, but at least now they're in the FEDFA and they accepted that position without any real hostility, whereas the BWIU never achieved that to quite the same extent that we did. But in
0: 1989, only one union uh, got a vote on the amalgamation of the BWIU and the FEDFA.
1: That was FEDFA, wasn't it?
0: FEDFA. And... Uh, in Victoria, and I'm happy to say I played my part, we, um, we actually beat the uh, proposal. And in Queensland, we beat the proposal. And uh, as a consequence, the amalgamation of the two unions was actually delayed.
1: That's right.
0: And it wasn't until the uh, economic downturn of the, of the early 90s when employment uh, disappeared for a lot of people and people were not working in the industry, that the amalgamation finally got up.
1: I don't think that was the real reason. Though, no, really. but... Um, I, mean, the, what, I mean, a lot of... Um, I mean, the politics had come into it. Time had passed. Yeah. Um, the BLF, for example, eventually came in. I mean, who would have ever thought that John Cummins, who was the main opponent of... Um, he was the one that was most active in fighting against deregistration. Yeah. Yep. Of the BLF as a single official, yep. and being, he, he's, he was the most prominent. Yes. He uh, eventually became uh, state president of the uh, CFMEU, uh, which really? included uh, all the building unions that had amalgamated, so yes. there you are. But well, that, that pro, there, had, there was a process that took place, Ralph. Yep. Even you, Ralph, who uh, was opponent, an opponent mm. of uh, the FEDFA, for example, uh, during amalgamation. Um, understandably, I've yep. got no worries about that, but even you became an official yep. of the CFMEU. Yep. So, you know, nobody, at, the, in, at the time of deregistration and the, of the BLF and the bloody war that erupted mm. on sites about all that and the stand taken by blokes like Johnny and yourself, who could have foreseen the fact that uh, you would have become the president of uh, the CFMU or Johnny Cummins would have been the president of the CFMU and that you would have be, you'd be amalgamating with the very people that you'd previously been at war with, industrial.
0: Another, another fine mess that Johnny Cummins got me into.
1: <laughs> no, but it but, showed how things developed.
0: But things changed and one night... Changed everything. That was the night that the uh, BLF uh, meeting basically sacked Norm Gallagher and replaced him with Johnny Cummins.
1: He was opposing any... He was opposing anything.
0: And John uh, was in a situation, this is my memory, uh, where he had to deal with the fact that he was the secretary of a branch of the BLF But the other branches of the BLF, because they had separate registration at a state level, uh, had survived but were in a situation where they needed to do something about their future. And they negotiated as a group, with CAMOs involvement and probably leadership, uh, negotiate an amalgamation between the BLF as a whole and uh, the... What was then the BWIU, and we ended up in the CFMEU. It was yeah. a long and tortuous time, to course. Mm-hmm.
1: Builders, build builders' labourers, uh, you know, the people, the former builders' labourers, reached that conclusion. Mm-hmm. As perhaps surprisingly, did the say uh, the leadership of the uh, former BWIU, you know, mm-hmm. looks yeah. like. Uh, Oh, Clancy even, you know, they... Was he alive then? No. No, he'd gone. Yep. But Sharky. Oh. Sharky, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's, a, there's an old sparring partner.
1: But again, the, you know, that, that's something that really does need analysis and a mm. step-by-step look at it,
0: yeah. Well, we... If it hadn't happened, I reckon we would have had the 36-hour week in the building industry by the late 80s.
1: Anyway, Ralph, to quote Shakespeare... All's well with
0: ends well. <laughs> well, hopefully this is not the end. It might be the end of today's conversation, but I don't think we even uh, trawled more than six inches below the surface.
1: No, I don't think so either. <laughs> I think there's a whole
0: lot of issues that need to be put into perspective, whatever our personal views are. But there's a lot of stuff out there which is dealt with as sort of single episodes or single personality issues, when in fact they all come together in a massively complex story of post-war trade union politics, trade union organisation, and actually the state of trade unionism, as we started off discussing. That's right. Anyway, Malcolm, for today...
1: No worries. Thank thank you you you.
0: Thank you. And we will continue this conversation, and you'll be the first one on... uh, Creatures of the Industry, an old Johnny Cummins saying, um, we will be doing a second episode. Oh, great. <laughs> Terrific. Thank you very much, Malcolm MacDonald. You have been listening to Creatures of the Industry, the Concrete Gang's fill in show for this summer, and there will be more interviews to come over the following weeks and hopefully an ongoing series well into the future. Thank you for listening pay, produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA.